within printed page rest fate unseen, doubts in ink and laid between, shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the bind. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Bindings. I'm Max Lopez and this week we are going to cover Pyramids, which is the seventh Discworld book by Terry Pratchett. It was published in 1989. It was preceded by Weird Sisters, which I covered very recently and I, I really enjoyed, as I have every Discworld book so far. And it is followed by one called Guards, Guards. Uh, which I say it like that because that's how it's written, which is such a funny title for a story. Guards, explanation, guards. I've been anticipating reading that one uh, just because the title specifically caught my eye. And uh, I'm not going to get to it next, but I am excited to read that next in regards to reading these Discworld books in order. So on to seven, which is, you know, I've read a couple of them were rereads, and I'm on to the seven, or I was on to the seventh one here. I was excited. I didn't really know much about this story at all. And it, you know, not much from the title, it just being called Pyramids. And, you know, obviously Discworld, I've explained it before, flat disc-shaped world sitting on the back of four giant elephants which sit upon the back of a cosmic space turtle named the Great Atuan. And it's just kind of funny, like, Terry Pratchett very much kind of incorporates a lot of what we have in our world into the disc and kind of has its own kind of spoof parody on it. And he very much tackles that here with pyramids um, and specifically focusing his attention on Egyptian history or, you know, what we know of ancient Egypt or even, you know, I'm sure they knew significantly less in 1989 uh, than they do now, I, I would assume. I, I truly don't know that much about Egypt. It is something that I've always found really fascinating. Uh, Brian and I were talking about this recently. I, I don't even, it wasn't in regards to this book at all, but we were just discussing the mummy movies with Brendan Fraser when we were kids. Like, I thought the, they're, they're not good movies, but I thought they were so cool when I was a kid. And I was just, I, I found Egyptian culture very fascinating because it seemed so elusive and it seemed. It seemed like something we truly didn't understand, and uh, or, or and, you know probably still don't really understand much of, and it was just kind of uh, it, it was fun to be able to have that connection to that thing that I really haven't gotten into again as an adult. I, I really haven't spent any of my time researching nonfiction or getting into any informational text revolving around Egypt, which I, I, you know, I would like to. It's kind of one of those things where at this point there's probably so many books about Egypt, but there's got to be like, you know, kind of the one, the one that like historians might recommend, uh, which I'm sure they, a lot of them would probably argue about which one would be that book. But I, I would like to get into it. I do find it fascinating. And uh, the authenticity or accuracy of it now, I guess, is might be a little in question. So kind of a, even more intriguing and more of a reason to get into it. But so this story takes place in a basically like Discworld's version of Egypt, but it's called Jelly Baby. And that is the name of the kingdom. And it's spelled in a very... In a, 
uh, with it's spelled D J E L I B E Y B I. So you know, uh, luckily I I had read a pronunciation of that on the internet because I was not saying Jelly Baby right away, but I, I pretty quickly realized I was probably saying it wrong and that there was probably some clever joke in it that Terry Pratchett was throwing at me that I just wasn't picking up. And sure enough, there was, and it's Jelly Baby. And it's funny to think how many how many readers in 1989 and then the early 90s who wouldn't have had that internet resource to just go solve all of my my oversights that I'm making. And, uh, you know, some very intuitive people back then, I suppose. Or, you know, people who were just reading the name wrong for the entirety of a book, which would be funny as well. And so Jelly Baby is uh, this the city that is on the uh, banks of this river called the Gel. So, I mean, obviously very connected to Egypt, to the Nile, and all of those sorts of things here in our world, which I did appreciate. It. Like I said, being having found it fascinating as a child, it was fun to see it used in this parody-type fantasy book, which I really enjoyed. So it, it kind of revolves around this young man, Tepic, who is the, who's the heir to the throne of Jelly Baby, so truly he's going to be the next pharaoh in line. His father's name is, I believe, pronounced Tepikiman the 27th. And Tepic, at the beginning of the story, is sent away to Ankh-Mork Porksville. He's sent away to a familiar place across the sea uh, for him to learn how to be an assassin. His dad wanted him to have more skills, is kind of what they're getting across at the beginning of the story. So Tepikiman the 27th sends Tepic across the sea to go become an assassin in Ankh-Mork Pork, uh, which I'll never get tired of saying any of these city names, <laughs> the names of these cities in Terry Pratchett's stories are always so hilarious. And while, to, while Tepic is away, his father ends up passing away. And you learn very quickly in this, and this is something I do remember from Egyptian history, where the pharaohs were very much looked at, like, were very much looked at as, like, gods as well. Uh, maybe not, like, to the degree of the actual Egyptian gods, which I'm not claiming to know anything about, but they were considered like living gods. And so Tepikimon the 27th is also considered this living god. And so it's kind of this interesting transition. I, I really enjoyed the way Pratchett described it. When Tepikimon dies, Tepic like knows, he, he just kind of absorbs that and he feels himself kind of gain this godly presence. But it, it is almost referenced that he didn't necessarily feel different. He just felt different, if that makes any sense. There was almost kind of just like a, a cool breeze that floated by him that made him, you know, feel this. Something has changed. And turns out his father had died, and it was him kind of accepting this new role of Pharaoh and, and accepting this new role of being kind of this living God, which is very interesting. And of course, being Terry Pratchett, Pratchett, it's all done in this humorous way. And, and most of the story revolves around Tepic going back and dealing with like what it truly would take to run a kingdom, holding up to expectations that he doesn't necessarily agree with, and along with building a monument for his father. So Tepikimon the 27th and Tepic, who I guess would be Tepikimon the 28th, are both influenced by the high priest of Jelly Baby, which is Dios. And Dios is kind of guiding every decision that both of them is making. 
and kind of phrasing it in this way of, oh, this is what you want to do. So it's kind of like they're just, they're so lost in like kind of the gravity of how much responsibility they have as king or pharaoh, whatever you'd like to call it, that Dios kind of is able to use his agenda and project that, oh, you want to do this. So it's really Dios's idea to build these monuments for the the, pa the pharaohs who have passed because they kind of get this this godly status where they deserve, like, at least in the view of this culture, they deserve to have this giant monument. Well, Dios with Tepikimon wants to create the biggest pyramid ever made. So he, and hi he hires this basically like a construction company, which has a name and everything, and it's ran by this man named Taklusp. Now, in this book, it's very interesting. Every Whenever anybody speaks and, and they're from Jelly Baby and they use a word that starts with a T, it actually starts with a PT. And Taklusp, Klusp, weird to say, he is, since that's his name, it's that's written with it outside of the quotations. And Taklusp ends up with a son who is Tasklup, two sons, they're twins, Tasklup's 2A and Tasklup's 2B. And uh, one of them's like an engineer and the other one's like an accountant. And they all run this construction company together. And so for a good portion of the book, you're basically... You're basically involved in the them overseeing the production of the biggest pyramid that's ever been built on the disc, and it, it's just hilarious because it's just like there's a lot of just like ins and outs of like what would work and what wouldn't work, and like you learn more about pyramids like and like their association geometrically to like um, like the foundations of our reality. And it's just, it's done in this very clever way that, like, the pyramid itself becomes, like, inherently a, a force of destruction and, and kind of like a fissure in our, like, what we know as, like, reality, as we can see it on our plane of existence. And it, it's kind of funny because this is, like... The comedy part of this doesn't really let go very much at all. Where in like Mort, in uh, sorcery, in equal rights as well, like it has that comedy bit that runs through all of it. But like those ones kind of back off and hit some of these more serious topics and even have some pretty dramatic moments. Where this one is really funny the entire way through and and very comedically oriented. Yet still, he kind of he he warps in this mind like reality bending concept within it in this hilarious way it, and it made i mean it made the story kind of work in this like in the it, like kind of reach the spectrum of being like you know pretty pretty thought-provoking but also at the same time just like inherently funny and something that like you could completely neglect like this this reality bending part that he includes into it and just focus on the comedy and you would enjoy it even even more you also get this perspective of the embalmers the people who are like responsible for mummifying to pikimon the 27th and throughout this like because in terry pratchett's stories um they uh like the, the there's all often reasons why a person would their ghost would make would remain on the disc and 
Tapikimon is also overseeing the embalming and mummification of himself, which is, I like, just think about that for a second. It's a really funny perspective to have a, the person being mummified, a ghost in the room having an opinion on what's going on. It, it was a part of the story that I really, like, one of the, one of my favorite parts of this whole story revolved around kind of that. Um, I, I want to say one of the embalmers' name was Gil, and I forget, or no, it was not Gil, it was Dill. It was Dill, because there was like a whole bit, like, it's funny, because they were like putting him in the jar, they were like pickling him, and the guy's name was Dill. <laughs> Terry Pratchett, like, the, to just have a few minutes to have, to, you know, unfortunately he passed away, but he is one of those people where I really would just love to talk to him. I wouldn't even want to ask him questions. I would just want to like talk to him about something just because it, it, he just had such a funny way of looking at things. And I know that that's like kind of just stupid. Like, oh, the dill, like dill pickles, he's pickling this, you know, these organs or whatever. But it, it, it is a hilarious thing to include in the story. And so, you know, those concepts of the pyramid, like most of this revolves around the construction of the pyramid and Tepic kind of being like, I don't really want to be the pharaoh. And that kind of blows up in his face at certain parts as well. So one of the major themes that I picked out of this kind of revolves around that, which is pushing against the forced order of things. And with, within this, like, there are things that, that Tepic is seeing that he's like, this is just not right. Like, I just don't agree with this. I don't see why I'm not truly making the decisions, and he's, but it, it's just the way it's been. And like, how often have you heard that in your life of like, oh, well, that's just the way we do it. And it's like, well, just because it's the way we do it doesn't mean it's the best way it could be done. Like, are there alternate ways that we could do this? And I think it's very natural for us to kind of get forced or um, put into that box where we are forced into this order because people are so used to doing it that way and, and as people are nervous for change and unwilling to change they continue to subscribe to that forced order and go in that way when I think the the way that the world and humanity can truly grow is by having people who are willing to go against that forced order and of course like there is order in our world for reasons like they're they're like laws the rules we need to follow day to day just general social cues like those are important things and like of, of, of course you can move that into forced order right you can say that well you know who's to say you're not putting me in a box by telling me i have to follow all of the social rules but truly some forced order ha has has been brought about just so that we can live in a more understanding and peaceful society but to truly grow out of some of those things i think that we need to go against the current and that does not mean uh you have to do anything more than speaking out uh, speaking out for the ideas that go against the order like action doesn't always have to be the only solution it can be ideas and the presentation of ideas and what our ideas together can kind of grow into and, and project well this is the order or present, not project. This is the order. These are my ideas that go against that forced order. I'm not saying we should, but I'm saying let's examine it. Let's see these two things and see if we can learn from both of them and see if there's some marriage in between there where we can kind of learn to understand both sides of this coin. 
and you know this is all presented in this in this way of like completely through humor and then also in in this serious way of of kind of recognizing that like maybe uh maybe change is important and maybe accepting of that and and getting other people to accept it and not giving up on it and that's like a huge thing tepic kind of goes through within this is not giving up on kind of where he foresees his kingdom being he truly doesn't want to be the pharaoh and he makes that very clear throughout the entire story at some point he kind of like goes on like almost like a moses in the desert kind of thing uh, which is very much like you know that whole story is very much parodied within this as well and he ends up with this camel and this is the first time camels have been introduced into this world at least to where you're you're given some solid description of their actual like who they are as creatures but the 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 the, uh the the camel's name is you bastard and uh the way that that information is presented to you is just such it's just so gold it's so good and i i love every second of that and you also learn that camels are like the most sophisticated creature on the entire planet and they they like see things as mathematical equations and you start to get the perspective of you bastard which like once that started like it for me it honestly could have taken up a good portion of the story like there could be a Discworld book and I, I there might be and i just don't know about it. i really truly have not been trying to look into much the only one i know about is the hog father i think that's what it's called it's called it's a christmas one uh, that's the one I'm most familiar with, out, like outside of this reading order that I've been going through. But some more, like some 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 more backstory on the camels and this, like them being a very sophisticated creature, is uh, it's just hilarious. And especially like, cause this this whole thing of like humans are like, you stupid camel, come on, why aren't you, you know, stop being lazy? I'm gonna force you to walk through the desert. You're so dumb. And little do they know that this this animal is like seeing the world in numbers and like everything is some equation to it. And it, it, you get to kind of get that point of view in the story for the first time in a Discworld book. Because again, I, I don't, I none of them have taken place in a, in a desert, which I think desert fantasies are really cool. Uh, I read a story called The Warded Man. And it, the first one didn't take place in the desert, but the second one kind of took place in this uh, desert kingdom. And, you know, I, I haven't really read other than that, I guess. Uh, Essos and, uh, in Song of Ice and Fire is like a desert uh, desert kingdom on the other side of the, the sea there. So, But I, I do think it's ripe for fantasy. I think that there's a lot of cool things that can happen in a, de- in a desert. And uh, I think that Terry kind of just grabs at, like, the... Bo- what do you think of when you think of Egypt? Pyramids. Let's write a story about that. Like, you know, there's a million other things uh, that he could have included in it, but I love that he kind of chose just like that one thing. Like, when you think of Egypt, what do you think of the Sphinx or the pyramids? Sphinx also plays a role in the story as well, but is uh, pretty, pretty important towards the end of it. I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. I, I think I've said that about every Discworld book. And I just, I love his writing. He just... You know, it, it can get confusing because, like, what he is creating is so different and it's so unusual and he purposely kind of wants to, like, spin you around in a circle and get you all dizzy and then be like, oh, here it is. 
here's the answer to whatever you were wondering. And I, I like some people probably hate that, to be honest. I, I find it very entertaining. And the thing about it is the books are so short that like he has that in mind. You know, he's not he's not spinning you along and then not paying out for it. It it's always it has a payout. It's always worth it. Right when you're like, wait a second, I don't think I understand. It's like he opens the page and you're like, oh, thanks, Terry. I get it now. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. So I couldn't recommend really any of these books more. Uh, up to book seven here, you really could start wherever you want. Um, if any of the podcasts you've listened to from me have kind of striked your interest, pick it up there. Um I recommend starting at the beginning or starting with Mort. Mort is my favorite one still to date, but uh, this one is really, really good as well. So um, moving forward from here, I don't know where I'm, I'm, I'm going. It, uh, I think we're in 2023 now. I'm recording this in November, so of 2022. So interesting. We're moving along here, and I, I got weeks and weeks of podcast episodes recorded at this point, so I don't think we're going to be taking a break anytime soon. Um, we might have some Stephen King stuff, uh, like some, some special event stuff coming up in the horizon. I'm kind of still playing with the ideas. I have kind of a big endeavor I'd like to do, but it just I, I don't know how much of the podcast I want to devote to it. I think I'm going to take, I think I might read uh, another Frederick Bachman book coming up soon. I might do that next. I'm kind of indifferent about it, but at this point we've wrapped up different seasons recently. Um, got quite a few in the, uh, ready to come out after this as well, so we'll see where uh, one's outside of, um, of what I'm going to read next. So I'm really excited. There's a lot coming up. And Oh, one last thing. So I, like, this is the craziest thing. As, like, I don't really pay much attention to, like, the statistics on the podcast and for a long time I just wanted to focus on getting episodes out and providing um, you know varied uh, different authors you know being able to cover different things while at the same time obsessing over Stephen King Terry Pratchett Jr. and all that stuff that I love and so I finally looked into statistics as I've been trying to build out the podcast here and do some different things and I, I came across, like, being able to see, like, in what countries um, people listen to the podcast. And it was just very interesting that the second most listened to place in the world is in Germany. So if you're listening to this episode and you're from Germany, I appreciate it so much. Like, you have no idea. I live in a small town in Illinois in the Midwest here in the United States. And... I like I, I do this for fun and I do this because I love to read books and you know I want I want as many people as I can get to listen to the podcast so if you're out there and you're listening to it in Germany or anywhere um, but if you're in another country like that's it's so amazing and I thank you so much for for joining me and and if you ever want to get in contact or if there's anything you ever want to hear me cover on the podcast shoot me a, a direct message on Instagram Feel free to get in touch. I'd love to have a conversation about some of these books or uh, even some of the ideas that we come up with here on Beyond the Binding. So every listener out there, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. I love doing this, and uh, I I'm going to do it no matter what, but having pe knowing people out there are listening really means a lot to me. So thank you all so much, and uh, keep an eye out for what's coming next. And I'm Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Binding.